written. God's people were in exile. God had brought an army against them, an army from Babylonia, and they had been driven out of their land. Their temple had been destroyed. His judgment had been on them. That is what we see in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. But in chapter 40, the tone changes. God starts to draw his people back, not only to himself, but eventually to the land that he has given them. And he makes promises to them. Despite the fact that they were continuing to worship God, they had offered up idols, sacrifices. They depressed the poor and needy. They turned to immorality. But God forgave them and drew them back to himself. Into this situation that looked hopeless, God had sent a prophet to speak this word of comfort, a promise. 
a hope for a people who lived in hopelessness and despair. If you're like me, then um, when I hear promises, particularly from politicians, I'm sceptical or even cynical about them. If you look on our banknotes, we see, I promise to pay the bearer on demand, the sum of. And it's signed by, I think it's the chief cashier of the Bank of England. It used to be the governor of the Bank of England. Years ago, we could take our pound notes or our five pound notes into the Bank of England and we could ask for them to be exchanged for gold. That promise that the Bank of England made was so reliable that as a country we built our wealth and our fortune on it. We based our financial security on it. We lost the right to go to the Bank of England and demand gold in the 1920s. Now, on the Bank of England website, the promise means public trust in the pound is now maintained by monetary policy. The promise to pay means only that we can exchange our notes for others of the same value. Thank goodness that the promises of God are absolutely certain. He doesn't change the rule book. He does not change the promises he makes to us to suit political or monetary policy. Isaiah says in verse 1, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. The promise of this passage is as relevant to us and to our nation as it was to Israel. Whatever we have done, Whatever our situation, whoever we are, God still cares for us. God still loves us. And in the midst of our suffering, he comes to us with words of hope, of comfort, of strengthening. As Paul in Romans 8.38 reminds us, there is nothing that can separate us from his love. Surely this is the promise that our friends and families, our neighbours and our nation needs to hear at this time. Verse 2 is a bit of a conundrum. Is it really saying that God has punished Israel twice for her sins? Were they that bad? It could be. But some commentaries offer a different interpretation. And it refers to an Eastern custom. If a man owed a debt he couldn't pay, his creditor would write the amount of debt on a bit of paper and nail it to the man's front door so that everybody passing by would see that, a, that here was a man who'd not paid his debts. The garage that I go to, to to get my new tires for my car has a similar policy. If you write him a check and it bounces, he has a big notice board in his waiting room and he puts your check up there for all to see. <laughs> I either pay him in cash or make sure I've got money in the bank. <laughs> but if somebody had come and paid the debt for him, then the creditor would take that bit of paper and double it over so that the debt could not be seen 
and then it would be nailed to the man's door as a testimony that the debt had been fully paid. It had been doubled over. Whether this is right or not, this verse is the announcement to Israel as a nation and to us as Christians that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Messiah, our debt of sin has been fully paid. The paper has been doubled over. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the promise of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Whatever our mistakes, whatever wrong things we have done, or whatever hurt we have caused, this comfort and the promise of forgiveness is open to each one of us. And it rests on the word of God, which will stand forever. For each one of us, his promise is rock solid. Verse 3 continues. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? These passages define the ministry of John the Baptist. He was to declare that when the Messiah came, his ministry would not only be one of preparation, of reconciliation, but also one of reconstruction. Reconstruction within us. There would be a highway built in our hearts for God to travel on. There would be four steps in the building process. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground will become level, and the rough places plain. In this beautiful, symbolic language, the prophet is saying that this is the work that God undertakes when he comes into our lives. When we have received his forgiveness, he begins to change us, to reconstruct our lives. In the valleys, in the low places, there will be comfort, there will be encouragement from the Lord. The high places, those places where we put our own altars, where we worship our man-made idols, they will be pulled down and levelled. But what is man? The prophet replies, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. All the things we boast about will fade away and disappear. All our knowledge and power will eventually amount to nothing. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. But the word of our God will stand forever. In our own strength, we can never accomplish all that we want. Our human help will fail us, but the word of the God of our God will stand forever. We carry within us a vision of wholeness, a vision of completeness, a wholeness that we sense is our true home and beckons us onward to an eternity with him. 
St. Augustine put it in a better way. We are made for a relationship with God and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. But what comes after the reconciliation, the reconstruction and the reassurance that he is with us? The passage continues in verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. This passage speaks about being a witness, about proclaiming, and proclamation always follows and never precedes the work of the Holy Spirit in reconciliation, in reconstruction, and in reassurance. Jesus sends us out to be witnesses, not to do witnessing. As witnesses, we talk about what has happened to us. If nothing has happened, we do not have anything to say. If we cannot tell somebody of God's grace within our own lives, we cannot be a witness. But if something has happened, if we have been changed, if we sense the work of God within our hearts and lives, then we can say to the people around us, behold, this is our God. Verse 10 says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power. See, he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. What a tender, lovely scene painted by verse 11. And what a contrast to the powerful portrait of God in verse 10. The God that we proclaim is the God who is a judge with the power and might to overcome all who resist him all who attempt to deceive him or ignore him. One day he will come again in glory, and we will see his glory. But he's also a shepherd. He nourishes with tender care. He carries us close to his heart. He gently leads those who are with young. John 10 echoes these words when Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And in Psalm 23, the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. In the version of the Bible called The Message, which is a paraphrase, John 1.14 says, The word became a human being and moved into our neighbourhood. Let's remember that when we deliver the cards later today. The word became a human being and moved into our neighbourhood. God is not far away. He's intimately involved in our lives. The birth of Jesus was in fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy. Look, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and they shall name him Emmanuel. Let's remember over the next few weeks as we meet and talk with friends and neighbours that truly God is with us. Thank you. Let's stand and sing again. This time we're going to sing the hymn, Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. Saints are ten. 